Um, I want to welcome y'all again. Um, we have some seats up here. If you if, if folks are coming in and you want the front row, which everybody always does, then uh, we've saved it for you. So, um, and like Philip said, we we're a relatively new class uh, and community at Chapelwood, and one of the things that we're attempting to do is to unpack what does it mean to um, to mature spiritually, and what does that look like? Um, I don't know about y'all, but that was never a roadmap that was given me when I was growing up. Um, we build a lot of competencies about how to do things in life, how to get things done, how to be competent at a job. Our inner life, uh, many times, we're just left alone to figure it out. And so that we get into our 30s, 40s, 50s, and upwards, and a lot of times the things that we're dealing with in our 20s, we're still dealing with in our 40s, 50s, and 60s. Does that make sense? The things that hurt us, the things we get stuck in. Are st- so I think, I think religion um, has not done a good job at giving us a roadmap, a, a, a helpful roadmap uh, forward into life. Um, and how do we mature? Uh, what does maturity look like? Um, often it will look like deeper compassion um, and being more compassionate the older you get rather than um, having your stuff together and more judging. Um, and so we're trying to figure that out. What does it look like to mature? If we were to surrender our life and our will to the love of God and just let it go, and we marinated in that for about two and a half weeks, what would dissolve in that love? What's the stuff inside of you that's all crusty <laughs> that would dissolve in that love? And what would come out of that? In what way would you walk in different ways in your relationship? Whatever that is, is what we're angling towards in terms of maturity. Um, and so, and like Philip said, this is not a small group or a Sunday school where you have to fake your own death to get out of it. You know, I've been, I've been there in, in Sunday school classes growing up in church where it's like once you lock in, it's like Hotel California, you know. <laughs> And check out, you never leave, and it's like still. I know that I'm still on the rolls somewhere in Lubbock and in Dallas, and you know. And so um, this is not this is not that place. And we get that everybody is busy. This is a program, as they say, um, in recovery, a program of attraction, not promotion. If you're getting some out of it, then bring somebody. Uh, and there'll be times it's dry as a bone. It's okay. Um, um, uh, and we also know that, that folks are busy, and we're trying just to then kind of create a space for, uh, for community in that place. We are um, in the middle of a series uh, called The Gospel According to Ted Lasso. Um, we did a Gospel According to You Too uh, a while back, and, and we thought, man, this might be a good one as well. Uh, and so we're looking at the whole, uh, this, this last week and this week and probably even next week, this whole era, an area of forgiveness. When I look at Ted Lasso as I kind of go through it, I think the whole thing is basically about forgiveness. It, it, it stunned me last week that I had never seen that. Uh, and as I continue just to look at it. Uh, um, and so this, the clip that I'm going to share uh, with you this morning is a clip where uh, Rebecca Welton, who is the owner of, of the football club that Ted Lasso is now the coach of, comes to him and basically is confessing to him that everything that she's been trying to do is to disrupt, dismantle, and betray him because really she has this deep anger towards her ex-husband who betrayed her. And that all of this betrayal that has kind of uh, been 
marinating in her own life has been turned outwards and everything that she's doing is just living out of this deep sense of this this shadowed connection that she has with her ex-husband and she is just um, she's just hurting every everybody and every person around her and because of that um, she she really wounds some primary relationships she has this kind of awakening this this enlightened uh, place that opens up inside of her and she realizes what she does and what she's doing and she uh, comes and uh, places this out before Ted and so I'll uh, we'll just uh, start there if that's all right um, I'll try to turn this up as well there's a lot of cussing in this show and I'm, I don't think there's any in this so I just want you to know that we've like bleeped everything out <laughs> I caught one this morning. We had to go back and re-edit, so I think we're good. Okay. Can you read the text today? This is a text that comes out of um, of, um, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. (laughs) Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done by them, by Father in heaven, by my Father in heaven. But where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Wow. Um, as... Uh Sam comes up, we're going to sing a bit uh, today, um, and I'll just say this, uh, what I said last week and how we started last week is that two-thirds of all that Jesus talked about in the New Testament has to do with forgiveness. I think because of the core of it, he knew that as human beings, how fragile we are, how easy it is for us to get hurt, and what we do with that hurt. Um, and then um, I won't get into the whole history of the 70 times 7, but he's reversing a law of getting back at folks. There was this uh, guy named uh, Lamech in the Old Testament that was wounded, and so he said, that person hurt me, I'm going to wipe them out 70 times 7. And that was a thing, that was a, that was a saying in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so Jesus takes this vernacular, the saying in the culture, and reverses it. When Peter comes to him and says, dude, how often do I have to, like, forgive my brother or sister who's offended me? And basically, Jesus says, um, how much do you care about your mental health? How much do you care about the raising of your children? How much do you care about happiness? How much do you care about standing in the sunlight of God's spirit? Well, to the much that you want those kinds of things in your life. You have to always and constantly be opening yourself up to a posture of forgiveness. Um, now that is not easy, and we'll talk about um, we'll talk about that in a second. But let's sing.
Do you want to go over it? Yeah, whatever course? you want to do. I feel like most of y'all have heard this at some point, but um, if you want to sing along the chorus, it's real simple. Clouds of sulfur in the air, bombs are falling everywhere, it's heartbreak warfare. Once you want it to begin, no one ever really wins in a heartbreak warfare. I don't know if I did this if right. If you want more love, why don't you say so? <laughs> if you want Sorry. more love, why don't you say so? So I hope we've heard it. If you want to sing along, feel free. And if not, that's okay, too. Inside my chest to keep me up at night. Dream of ways to make, make you understand, understand my pain. Clouds of sulfur in the air, bombs are falling everywhere. It's a heartbreak warfare. Once you want it to begin. No one ever really wins in a heartbreak warfare. If you want more love, why don't you say so? If you want more love, why don't you say so? Drop his name. Push it in and twist the knife again. Watch my face as I pretend to feel no pain, pain, pain. Clouds are sulfur in the air, bombs are falling everywhere. It's a heartbreak warfare. Once you want it to begin, no one ever really wins in a heartbreak warfare. If you want more love, why don't you say so? If you want more love, why don't you say so? Just say so. How come the only way to know how high you get me is to see how far I fall? God only knows how much I love you if you let me, but I can't break through it all. It's a high, high break. I don't care if we don't sleep at all tonight. Let's just fix this whole thing now. I swear to God we're gonna get it right. 
If you lay your weapons down Clouds of sulfur in the air Bombs are falling everywhere It's a heartbreak warfare Good to know it's all a game Disappointment has a name It's a heartbreak, heartbreak It's heartbreak warfare. It's heartbreak warfare. It's heartbreak warfare. Thanks, Sam. Um, I love being able to sing or listen to John Mayer a little on a Sunday morning. That's good. Uh, thank you. Again, uh, Sam is available for bar mitzvahs, parties, and other uh, <laughs> other gatherings. Uh, her and her husband are dear friends, and they play uh, all over the city. And so it's uh, it's been great to to get to know her and her husband. Um, and she's. That's out. I didn't, I just didn't, yeah. She didn't say that, but yeah, she's having a baby in like March? In 20 weeks? 20 weeks, wow. Yeah, so, which is great. Um, so I think, I think that Jesus talks about um, forgiveness. In fact, I think that I could probably make a case that Jesus, his whole of his ministry, he was talking about two things over and over again. Um, forgiveness and inclusion. Forgiveness and embrace. Um, forgiveness and border crossing of the ways that our culture has divided us and them. Me and you. Right and you're wrong. Heaven and hell. And when we come to Jesus, what we begin to see is um, this God that is just not um, I think God's heart gets broken because our hearts are broken. I think God ends up assuming your problem as God's own problem and doesn't leave us with a manual and a book and says, well, just get it done. That's why when we show up in the ways we learn forgiveness often in certain religious structures is to say the words, as I said last week. But really at the heart of all of this is so that we might become more mature. That we might figure out the internal map that we were not given. You were not given the internal map of how to work this stuff out. Um, and because of that, we come into our adult lives often really lost. And then we marry another lost person, right? And then we try to make this thing work. And we try to make things work in, in, in work relationships or with siblings. And we're all operating off this just sense of being lost in our own internal map. And I really believe that partly um, the spiritual life offers, maybe not an exactly do this and do this and do this, but it offers, it summons us to a different way of living internally and with each other. And because of that, I think that maturity um, is, um, is the thing that stands central into what, uh, into what we're talking about. And this is what I want to say about uh, maturing spiritually. 
Uh, it is not something that happens uh, to us as a passive function of time. You're not going to get zapped and, and become spiritually mature because you have uh, been in church for 15 years, right? Most of the most immature people I know are in church. And, and mature people. I'm just saying, correlation, causation, not so much. Um, it is the product of intentionality, the chiseling away of childish impulses for uh, um, um, impulses, tantrums, sulking, instant gratification, weaponizing our feelings of shame, frustration, and loneliness. It requires education, relearning, and unrelentless practice. This is what maturity is. It doesn't happen to you. It's because we've been intentional. It's because we've said we want to grow in this area along spiritual lines, and we're going to have, one, a lot of curiosity, a lot of curiosity about ourselves. This is why Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do? This is not the voice of shame. This is a very curious person saying, the thing I start out to do is this, and I end up on a different page. What the heck? And so that is a deeply, so that stand, one of the things that stands in, uh, in our lives that we continue just to, to cultivate is this spiritual practice of curiosity which we talked about a few weeks ago, really what stands at that core word of curiosity is to cure, to heal. When we're no longer curious about why we do things or why another person does things, then we can stand in the place of judgment and we can weaponize frustration, we can weaponize shame, we can weaponize our own anger, we can weaponize um, um, our parents' uh, voice inside of our heads, and we can use that in other areas of our life, really because we don't know what to do if we're not in control. And so what it means to be spiritually mature is to go along this, um, I think, this path and to begin to look at some, some of these things, that there are roadmaps that we have available. Um, I said this last week, um, forgiveness is not easy. Religion and spiritual folks that act as if the things you carry and the things I carry around can be undone by saying words um, are just wrong. I think most of our wounding, as we talked about a little last week, is we have this, this moral injury that happens through betrayal or through our own fear or whatever that, that don't have words attached to it. And it really is then we have these, and I'll, we'll talk about this in just a bit, these ego defenses that we really have to um, really, I think, acknowledge and become aware of and then deal with on our way to becoming forgiving people, uh, letting things go. So forgiveness is not easy. It's a journey. For some of us, it will take a lifetime. Um, it's not reconciliation. Um, if you have been wounded, there is a difference between forgiving and being reconciled, conciliating, reconciliating yourself with someone. Um, those are two different processes that often religion um, shoves together um, um, as it was in my family. Forgive your brother, now be friends. Well, I wanted to put a pillow over his face, you know. Um, and when those, um, when, those, uh, when those processes get compact together and they get handed to you and then they get shellacked over as spiritual, 
I believe a deep spiritual malpractice takes place because they are two different processes. And to expect us to reconcile to someone that has deeply wounded us in the same spaces of walking towards forgiving of that, which really, forgiveness, um, if someone hurts me, I'm connected, say, to, to Deborah in a place in this, um, this, uh, this life, and a chain occurs. Into this event where I am wounded or she is wounded, there, we, we form a bond of wounding. Often what forgiveness does is allows that chain to be broken. Now, reconciliation is a possibility. That's a deep hope of God. But it is, uh, I think God kind of stands back in curiosity as well and goes, we'll see. I'd really like that to happen, but a lot of other things have got to happen for that to happen. Forgiveness is not a religious function, it's a human function. And because it's human, it's deeply spiritual. And I think often what we need at the first, as we talked about last week, the first step is to bear witness to another person's pain. It's being able to form relationships where we can hear each other's pain. Because often um, what happens out of that unspeakable place of our own wounding, you are betrayed. And here's the deal. Um, a, A mentor of mine said this to me one time. That the seeds of betrayal and the seeds of love are sown in the same soil. So the only person that loves you can betray you. The only person that you open, open your heart up to can betray you and can wound you. Now somebody, a driver on I-10 can piss me off. They can't betray me. Right? Can I get an amen? Right? Anybody else kind of? Okay. <laughs> they cannot betray me. And so what we're talking about is how do we begin to deal with the wounds of our heart? Not the flash of anger, but the wounds of our heart. Um, and it starts with, uh, and this is why spirituality is deeply communal. It is not a thing just between me and God. It is not a personal relationship with Jesus. It is a communal function of the way that we understand our identities, the way we understand ourself, um, our, our viewpoints from ourselves, the way we understand that the way that the world operates. And this is why if a person dies in your life who wounded you, that there's still processes of people that we can go through that releases us from that kind of bond that we have with a person that has deeply wounded us. Because of um, what it means to be human is that we're connected together and that we're wounded together. Um, And so um, I think part of the process of this is that we begin to deal with the things that get wounded in us. I'm going to, um, um, Philip, can you come here for a second? Can we, can we, we're going to play act a little, okay? We're going to use Philip. Can you sit down there? Can you just, yes, yeah, you sit down. Now, this is Philip's little boy. This is his inner child. Jeff Pate, can you come here for a second? Now, Philip has been, uh, um, is a little kid is growing and he gets wounded by something. And that wounding causes him to, to um, and he may not have words for it, but he gets angry about it and gets defensive about it. Jeff, you're going to be angry and defensive. All right, I want you to stand right here in front of Philip. <laughs> stand right here. <laughs> So, <laughs> I love 
So what happens is that you've got this like tender part of Philip that gets wounded. And what becomes uh, apparent to other people is this angry defensive part is attempting to protect Philip. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, Dave, come here. David is um, gaslighting and denial. Okay. Or whatever. This is a defensive mechanism that is in place because Philip is wounded. And this is what comes out of Philip is the inability. This is when, when, um, when um, in, the, in, the, uh, in Genesis, um, when God asks Cain after he kills his brother Abel, where is your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? <laughs> Defensiveness. Right? I don't know. Gaslighting. Because what he didn't know how to do is to say, as a little boy, I was wounded because you chose my brother over me and it hurt my freaking feelings. And I don't feel good enough. And I feel ashamed. And I don't feel like maybe I'm worth as much as my brother. I wonder if he had that um, discussion with Yahweh, if it would have turned out different. Right? But this little wounding then causes this anger and this defensiveness to happen. And it causes a lot of other things too, right? All right. Thank you all. Sit down. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Does that make sense? And so when we go to forgive people, this is why words don't matter. This is why religious substructures don't matter. Because we put it in this religious space, and it's a deeply human thing. This is why Jesus ultimately, God ultimately had to come in the form of humanity and get woven through us. And we had to realize that it's not about the things that we say in our head, that, that, that our rational subsystem is really important. But we embody pain. We embody betrayal. We embody shame. And that's why... When we go to have relationships, and I come to, to, to be in relationship with Phil, but many times what ends up happening is if, if things are okay, it's good. But if, if, if I touch a wounded part of him, or he touches a wounded part of me, what ends up talking to each other is our defensiveness, is our gaslighting, is our resentment, is our fear. And all of that is protecting a, a, um, a younger part of us. The sixth step in the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is this. Asking God to humbly remove all of our defects of character. Stupidest prayer in the world. It's not stupid. We're asking God, would you remove defensiveness? Would you remove gaslighting? Would you remove my my fear? What we're asking God is, would you make me vulnerable again? But what if your fear is if you become so vulnerable that you get overrun? Does that, you with me at all? This is why when we come to church, we, we don't give each other. and We're not given these like inner maps that help us. But we're given a lot of religious shame that says you ought to feel this way. Well, I'm a little kid that just feels wounded. And when I'm in relationships where these things get punched or poked or prodded or exposed, 
I don't have an inner map that says, oh, defensiveness. Oh, anger. Oh, lying. Because what I'm doing, and this is what they'll say for addicts, an addict will lie to you, not because they're a liar, but because they're afraid of being exposed. And so, part of what it means to go on this journey of forgiveness is to understand that all of the woundings that have happened to our life create defenses. Some of us in relationships with our spouse or with our our partners have been having relationship not with our little boy or little girl. We've been having relationships with our defense systems. Does that make sense? I bring up the fifth army. It's going to be a long night, you know. And so here's the defense. And then we get into how do we win this? How do I get heard? How do I not get wounded? So the call of Christianity, the call of the Holy Spirit, at the very beginning of this, is to notice, to notice the ways that we move when things have been pushed and prodded in us and the ways that our defense mechanisms get um, um, get employed and I think when Jesus talks about a new kingdom when Paul talks about if anybody is in Christ they are a new species that what begins to happen is we begin to to learn how that God is protecting the little boy in us or the little girl in us those places us that have been defended so that we can begin to move in relationships undefended with relentless practices that keep our hearts open New Testament, um, Jesus says, I'll tell you, the law of Moses, they let you issue um, um, decrees of divorce because of your hardness of heart. I, I don't know about all the New Testament laws and stuff, but I, don't, I do know that phrase, hardness of heart, fits for me. That your heart can just get hardened over things and over people and over places. And that we might feel an exorbitant amount of fear. But the way that that comes out might be through trying to control, trying to rage, becoming very defenseless. And so we never, that little boy and that little girl never grow up. And Paul talks about my desires that you might grow up into full maturity. That's not so that you know every Bible verse and that you're showing up every time these doors are open. And that it's just you and Jesus and you're carrying your Bible around. It has nothing to do with that. But it has everything to do with the Spirit of God. Um, You having a relationship with that and relentless practice. And then beginning over time with people and, and communities and relationships to begin to practice a different way of reacting. To understand why you react. Owning that over small times. Testing those assumptions out. Moving forward best you can and forgiveness gets lived out of that place does that make sense do y'all know who Anne Lamont is she's just she's great she's uh, um, this is what she says we all know the horror of having been right with a capital R (laughs) feeling the surge of a cause whether in politics or custody disputes 
This righteousness is so hot and steamy and exciting until the inevitable rug gets pulled out from under us. Then we get to see that we almost never really know what is true except that everybody else knows that sometimes we're all really lonely and hollow and stripped down to our most naked human selves. It is the worst things on earth, this truth about how little truth we know. I hate it and resent it, and yet it is where new life arises from. And I think this is um, that she is on to something here in this way. That when you feel righteous and right, big capital R, and we all do, right? I mean, anybody have kids here? <laughs> righteous and right. If you have a spouse, you feel righteous and right. And what I have realized is that there is no statue of limitations on resentment and pain. The body just doesn't naturally absorb those things. What they end up doing is becoming protein for your defense mechanisms. And when you want to lay down arms, you don't know how to. Because we haven't been taught how to. We've been taught just to say, God, forgive me, forgive them. Say the words. Now let's reconcile. And I think the whole work of forgiveness and this, this spiritual maturity that happens, I think it begins with one standing with each other in solidarity and bearing witness to another person's pain, hearing what another person's story is, being very curious about that. And you may not be able to do that with a spouse. You may not be able to do that with a person that has wounded you. But finding relationships where that gets heard, those things get heard. And then becoming very aware of the ways that, um, that our defense mechanisms um, set up shop to protect us. And beginning to um, involve ourselves with the spiritual practices, not so we reach nirvana, but so that we can become more fully human. And we can realize, oh, I'm defensive. What is this protecting? What is this protecting? Oh, I feel ashamed. That's a big trigger for some of us. Oh, I feel not good enough. I feel stupid. Whatever those things are, it's protecting. And our ability then to become in right relationship with each other. We can't even talk about forgiveness until we understand our defensive mechanisms. We begin to notice those, surrender those to God, be more open and vulnerable. And then we can begin to forgive other people out of that. We can begin to see that, oh, if I forgive you, it's not saying, one, that you're right, that it doesn't matter, that come back for seconds whenever you want. It means that this chain that I have connected to the person that hurts me, that it becomes a bolt cutter that I can cut off and I can let go that I do no longer need to create defense mechanisms all across my life to defend myself. I can let it go. And that that's the work. And that's where freedom comes from. And I really believe that at the end of the day, this is what Jesus is angling at. He's angling at our freedom. How can we become more freed 
from the things that bind us up and hold us down. This is a um, question I've been asking myself, and I'm going to journal this week and next week. How alive am I willing to be? If you were to marinate in love, and you knew that you knew that you knew that God has you, what crusty bits would come to the surface that you'd let go of? What would those be? What defenses would you might lay down so that you might restore a relationship with a person that um, is worth restoring? So forgiveness just means I'm willing to let go of my right to be right because of this relationship. I think what it means to be Christian is caught up in all of this. I think what it means to be free is caught up in all of this. And it's messy, and it's not for um, weak people, and it takes courage, and it takes desperation, and it takes us holding hands and walking each other home together. But just imagine if we got free. Just imagine if there's things that you could let go of this week. If you could say, God, I feel defensive in this way. Would you help me let this go and respond differently? What might happen in your relationship? God's angling for that. 